I want to welcome you to Young Adults Today podcast, where we talk about reaching young adults in our world today. I'm going to toss it over to our hosts, Micah and Josiah Keneally. Hey guys, it's Josiah, and before we dive into today's episode, we want to share something exciting with our Young Adults Today fam. On March 4th and 5th, 2022, we will be having our third annual conference. So we want to invite you and your team in person this year to Minneapolis, Minnesota for this opportunity as leaders to rally together with other young adult ministry leaders from across the country. You can find out more details and register today at www.youngadults.today. Now for today's episode. There you have it. What's up, guys? Hope you're feeling alive. Right now, I'm Josiah Keneally, and and I'm Micah Keneally. We are your hosts of the Young Adults Today podcast, where we talk about reaching the next generation in our world today. And Micah, mm-hmm. where can people subscribe, rate, review, those types of things? Well, definitely you can do that on any platform. But first and foremost, if you are just tuning in, we are kicking off new every Monday morning. So if you're tuning in and you're wondering where you can find an episode early Monday mornings in your headphones, on the drive, in your car, wherever you are at, you can find us. You can rate, review, subscribe. And this helps us reach the listeners and get the name out of who we are and what God's burdened our hearts with, but also speak into hopefully and encourage you as listeners in the process. So that's all we go. Just youngadults.today and you can find us on Spotify. Uh, what else, Josiah? I always YouTube, forget. iTunes, anywhere you find your podcasts. <laughs> you can even tell Alexa about us if you want. That's right? true. That is true. So, <laughs> And um, this episode is really special to us. I sat down two and a half years ago and just prayed over a document with a number of dream guests and Will you welcome our dream guest to the show today? Yes, he is definitely inspired you and this by uh, inspired me as listeners and as um, connoisseurs, I guess, in this field that we really want to consume the things that he's putting out there from his podcast to books and anything else. So we're going to introduce and just welcome to the show, Carrie Newhoff. Carrie, thank you for joining us today. Uh, it's great to be with you, Micah, Josiah. Thanks for having me, man. I, I'm humbled to be with you. We are so excited to see what is shared today, more or less. Carrie, and you need no introduction. If by chance you're a young leader and have not found Carrie, he is a must follow. Mm-hmm. Former lawyer um, and actually the founding pastor of Connexus Church just across the border into Ontario, Canada, one of the most influential churches in North America. His podcast mm-hmm. is amazing, millions of downloads every month. He's a conference speaker, thought leader, and the host of the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast and brand new best selling book, several books, but brand new bestselling is at your best. We'll talk about that in just a few moments, but where should we start, Micah? Well, let's just get kicking off with Carrie and your story. What, just help our listener to understand maybe where you are, where you've come from, your journey of essential life and leadership and where that passion stemmed from. Yeah. So I got one of those jobs that it's like, what exactly do you do? And nobody's hundred percent sure. So that's fun. I mean, these days I run a communications company, Carrie Newhoff Communications. We have a small team and we try to equip leaders with resources free and some courses and some other things as well to really just, you know, help leaders, particularly young leaders, figure it out. It's like, I look at it this way. I paid the stupid tax. Okay. I made a lot of mistakes. I did things the hard way. It took me forever to figure things out. So at this point in my life, I love to give back and love to, you know, try to give you the cheat sheet on 
everything from team leadership to personal leadership to church leadership to, um, yeah, to some of the things that honestly, I went to law school, I went to seminary, had a degree before that, and nobody taught me this stuff. So we're just trying to help leaders with that. And I grew up in a Christian family, uh, gave my life to Christ as a young teenager, kind of fell away in my later teen years, and then rededicated my life to Christ in my early 20s, but never thought I would go into ministry. Uh, Went to law school because that's what I was going to do with my life. And there I met my wife, which was awesome. Uh, She's also a lawyer. And then uh, it was in the middle of between first and second year law, felt a call into ministry and ended up uh, going into seminary out of obedience and then led a church for 25 years, 20, 20, I guess 20 years. And then stayed on on staff until about a year ago and exited completely. Still go, still give, still serve. Uh, but, you know, now this is what I do full-time, help leaders. So that's the mini tour. Yeah, Carrie, and I just acknowledge you as one of those leaders. And I feel blessed that I just get to track back and say, thank you. <laughs> I know that um, oh. there's, there's a story where Jesus tells about these lepers that he, he healed 10 of them and only one ever got the chance to go back and say, say thanks. So I just want to honor you and acknowledge you as one of those young leaders who has found your blog, your articles, mm-hmm. your podcasts to be really timeful, timely and helpful. And uh, just want to acknowledge you for that. And thank you again for your time investment in our community of young leaders as well. And where I would love to pick your brain to kind of kick things off is I'd like to, to ask you, Maybe what are your thoughts on the future of the church? We're in uh, 2022 as we launch this episode. What Mm. might things look later this year or what could or should the church look like in a few years? Well, thank you for what you shared, Josiah. I I take that uh, seriously. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, I think it's a big inflection point for the church. I mean, COVID, you can blame COVID for a lot of things. I think mostly COVID just revealed and amplified what was already there. So the church, if you look at the attendance trends over the last two decades from Barna, the Pew Research Center, I mean, it doesn't matter. There's another organization called Facts. I was looking at their stats. It's basically down and to the left. It's just a steady drop across even all generations, like even boomers are attending church less than they did, you know, 20 years ago. So, and that's true of millennials and Gen Z, uh, the rise of the nuns. So we have seen these trends for a long time. And now what's happened is COVID has just poured gasoline and lit a match on all of them. And I was, I was listening to a pastor today who was just so discouraged. And he was telling me, you know, there's 25 people left at his church. Mm-hmm. And my heart really breaks for that pastor. But even megachurch pastors, you know, if you have 80% of what you had pre-COVID right now, you're doing great. Like you're in the top 10, 15%. And so uh, I think a couple of things have happened. Number one, there's definitely uh, a retreat from what I would call nominal Christians. Like America, I think when historians write this chapter, and there's a lot to write about, they will probably look back on this time and they will go, okay, this is when America really became post-Christian. Like what was going to happen by 2030 happened by 2022. And So all the, yeah, I'm not really sure about God. I'm not really sure about the church. Those people are gone and they're probably not coming back. There is a small group that is just not comfortable. Now we have the, what is it? Omicron. Did I say that right? 
were days after they like identified this thing. I thought my Greek, I, I was calling it Omicron. And then it's like, no, that's not it. So anyway, I did win the prize in Greek, but that was a long time ago. So, and clearly I didn't know my Greek letters particularly well, alpha, beta, gamma, delta, whatever. Anyway. Um, so now we have, you know, it could be, it could be done by the time this thing is, is aired or it could be a huge story. I don't really know, but that is not the issue. And what is the issue? Stop blaming COVID for what happened to your church and start taking responsibility. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of things are morphing all the unhealth that we have seen in a lot of Christian leaders and church culture People are like, yeah, I'm done with that. And now the good news story is there are some great leaders out there who have humble hearts and healthy cultures, and they're going to be okay. I mean, gosh, like even, even the rise of the, what I would call the ideological church, the, uh, you know, your church is red or blue. It's either super progressive or it's super almost libertarian, QAnon, Republican, that kind of thing. There's been a little surge in some of those churches, particularly on the right, uh, that that might be a way of consolidating people who are going to other churches, but you're going to be the church that's always open, that doesn't listen to the government. I think that's a flash in the pan. Mm. And I think that's going to come, it's going to go. Um, and what you will see is a new church emerge. You will see a church led by younger leaders. You will see them really on mission with the New Testament idea of church you will see them fully comfortable with hybrid church online and in person. Mm -hmm. You'll see them really value community um, being for the community, not just looking at what you can get from the community. And I think that will start to emerge in the upcoming years. So that's sort of an overview. We can take it wherever you want to take it, but that's, that's what's on my mind. Yeah. Carrie, I think that's, I think it's dead on us. Some things Josiah and I have been seeing, and that's the community, the small church model, the house church model, the going out to the community. And one of the questions that we were, so we're campus pastors are looked at as, you know, Chi Alpha directors um, in our current role and position. And what we do is we oversee a college campus and we're viewed as, um, I don't know what you want to call it. Community advisors. Community advisors, quote unquote. And one thing that we're seeing, or one thing they were asking us as we, hit COVID and our leaders and like, what if, you know, the church was removed from the equation, the building itself? What if the campus, you weren't allowed to meet onto the campus? And so being able to pivot and to shift even our mindset of how to do ministry and to do it well and do it effectively is something that we've um, just been able to navigate during COVID. And like you said, I think it revealed a lot of things, whether it was a problem or a concern with the church or our own leadership when it comes to that. And also during this time, we've seen and heard a lot of people step down and out uh, in ministry who've hit like a burnout phase or like how like I I'm giving up I'm thrown in the towel but then we also are follow like a lot of people who um, follow this podcast may be stepping into that very first yeah. role or in a transition right uh, we know a lot of young adults who come to us like we started this young adult and like three weeks later COVID hit or we're trying to navigate this and we're like well, how many numbers do you have? We have 50 people. We're like, well, that's awesome. Like keep going. Yeah. So I would just want to pick your brain on this um, question. of like, you've made a couple of career pivots in your life and what might wisdom could you impart on somebody who is, you know, trying to 
step into the ministry role, transition, maybe there's a career pivot coming down their path. How have you been able to navigate those seasons of transition, um, COVID aside maybe, um, but how has that looked for you? And what would you say to that person who may be in transition, whether just stepping into their first role um, in between, or maybe even taking over the youth and young adults? Like there's a lot of different people listening. So anything yeah. that you have there? So on transitions, I've done a bunch of them. Um, I was in radio at one point when I was a teenager and thought about that as a career and then never really gave up on law. So I ended up in law school, kind of walked away from radio. Um, when I started getting serious and with my now wife, I'm like, I don't want to spend every evening and weekend away. And I was, I was doing well. I had job offers and, and that kind of thing. And in Toronto radio, but uh, then went into law, left law with a clear sense of calling into seminary, but law felt much more certain than seminary did because I don't think I have the, the, the pastoral gifts for ministry. I'm not, I'm not like the guy who will hold your hand in the hospital room and, and that I'm kind of wired as a leader. So I wasn't sure about that. Mm-hmm. And then most recently pivoted out of the lead pastor role of our church, but along the way changed denominations and now I'm running this company. So it's like I've had seven careers over 30, 40 years or, or whatever, going back to my childhood almost. And, you know, what, what are some common principles? Number one, have really, really smart people around you. Mm-hmm. Even when I first perceived a call to ministry, that was a surprise because I was a Christian, but I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like I thought about doing a lot of things with my life. Ministry was not on the list, even though I went to church regularly was just like, you know, I go to the garage regularly to get my car fixed. I don't think about becoming a mechanic. It's like, first of all, I don't have any gifts in that area, but because <laughs> you're in a garage. Yeah. It doesn't, it's not like, Oh yeah. One day I'm going to be, you know, fixing transmissions. Like it just never occurred to me. And so it was a real shock and God, and I'm not charismatic. Some of your listeners will be charismatic and that's amazing, but I'm Presbyterian and a former lawyer. So, I mean, you know, I don't feel anything. So I'm not hearing from God on a regular basis. So I had to go, like, I I asked my then fiance, Tony, I'm like, Hey, like, what about ministry? And she's like, yeah, totally. And I'm like, really? And then I asked my parents about it and they were like, Oh yeah, definitely. And I'm like, no. And so wait to see what other people see in you. Wow. Mm -hmm. And you know, right now it was much harder to pivot 20 years ago, 30 years ago than it is now. Cause now you can just, you know, boot up a website and uh, start a new Instagram account. And suddenly here I am world. Right. right. But you want to, you want to make sure that, that you, you are in a lane that not only you feel is right, but other people will validate it at some level. And one of the things you can do is like side hustle. So what I'm doing now full time, um, podcasting, blogging, writing books, speaking was for many years, a hobby for me. And, you know, speaking in was probably the first one because I led a growing church in a denomination where everything was declining. So you get invitations and I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed processing the leadership side of it. And then, um, you know, the writing came a little bit later and part of that was, yeah, I wrote a book with a guy who had written books. So Reggie Joyner and that book did really well, but then I'm like, well, I'll see if I can write a book on my own. And that, that went really well, but I still had a day job. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, after I burned out, I burned out about 15 years ago. I, I needed hobbies. And so I thought, well, I'm going to start writing. 
So I started writing and then lots of people showed up and I'm like, huh, okay. (laughs) So when I made the transition out of the lead pastor role, part of that was I was very concerned for our church because we became one of the largest churches in our country. I thought I didn't intend to do this. Like I always hoped, but like, it's like, wow, if I blow the succession, this is going to be a real problem. And so uh, I just wanted to do it. So when I was 50, six years ago, that's when I handed it over, but I'm like, now what am I going to do with my life? And I thought, well, maybe I'll just do more of this, but it was a, it was a step of faith. But what I had was four or five years of validation. I had a podcast that by that point had a couple million downloads. I had um, a blog that was getting read like a million or 2 million times a year. And I'm like, okay, I think I can probably figure this out. And I had lots more speaking engagements than I knew what to do with. Um, But I think the mistake a lot of people make is they just jump without any affirmation or independent Mm -hmm. verification that perhaps this is a good idea or in line with your gifting. So along the way, it was still a step of faith. Like I remember we were putting two kids for university when I exited and that's really expensive. You know, I have an engineer and an accountant. So it's like, please pick a cheap program, but they didn't. (laughs) And, you know, I was going from a full-time salary plus some ancillary income to a lower salary because I went on to become teaching pastor Mm -hmm. and, you know, it required God to step up, but at least it wasn't a completely irrational move. Yeah. That's good. That's fascinating. I love what you said about side hustles because I've said this to Micah where I feel like it's never been easier than 2020, 2021, 2022, like right now to start a side hustle. Like you said, Mm -hmm. to start a blog or to start a website and to launch a podcast, like for many people, the time was during quarantine and they were bored or the time is now and today. And we're always encouragers of people stepping out in faith and going after their dreams. And it's also been called by Ken Coleman and other experts in the career space, not even just ministry, but it includes that, but just great resignation as a whole you know, Wall Street Journal is using these terms. And I just think that that's so fascinating to go about it with maybe some sort of a strategy. Um, I think the strategy is necessary because uh, I can't point you chapter and verse to the articles I've read, but there are some articles, if you Google it deeply enough, that will tell you that some of the people who made the leap during the great resignation are having the great regret. They're like, oh my gosh, I thought it would be a lot easier. It's hard. I can't find a job. I can't find a job in my field. Like it was like, yeah, I'm going to move or take this job and stick it, you know, that kind of thing. And yet now they're like, "Uh uh-oh, like you are stuck with you, right? Right. And the other thing about the internet that I think is really interesting, one of the, the mantras in my company is, hey guys, the internet doesn't lie. I might be very excited about this episode. I might be really excited about um, this post that I worked for three days on, but you know, my grandma and two people read it and that was it. And the internet, like, and you're like, well, I didn't get the right, this or the algorithm cheated. Hey, but if you have, you know, like if you're putting yourself out there and nobody is engaging, the internet doesn't lie. And so you're like, okay, this is going to be an uphill battle. And people, people ask me all the time, like, how did you get millions of leaders following you? And I'm like, look, I'll give you the formula, but there's no guarantee it's going to work. And there's been a lot of grace. There's been a lot of trial and error. God has been very gracious. And if I was starting over again today, I don't know that I would have the same success. Mm -hmm. 
So there's a lot of factors, I think, in online success or next career success. And that's why I'm, I'm urging prudence and thoughtfulness, like, okay, do you want to be, you know, on food stamps in, in six months? Probably not. And so you really want to test it out. And I think you're exactly right, Josiah. This is the time where you can, you can test it out. And if you start to see momentum, momentum is a clue. It's not a guarantee, but it's a clue. Right. feedback. Yeah. Like seeking feedback. What a great way to experiment in a lab when it doesn't need to be your full-time job where you need to feed your wife, put a roof over the two daughters heads. Like you can start an experiment as a side hustle or hobby, and then just see where it goes and see what God has in the process. And I mean, the bottom, and you might not even like it. Like you start doing it, you think, oh, this is great. And a month later, you're not even motivated to write anymore. Now, the good news is I love what I do. Like, I I think it's the best thing in the world. And I I have figured out how to make a living at it. And it's like, that's amazing. But like, I get up genuinely excited to share ideas, to do interviews, to have conversations, to lead a team. But you might take the, the jump and you're like, okay, now I'm doing my own thing. And other people need structure. Other people need a firm. Other people need a company, an organization. Like we're not all cut out to be entrepreneurs. And you, take a, you get some of the reward, but you take all the risk. And it means that you could fall fl- you know, flat on your face too. So I think there's a lot of factors out there that you really have to think about. And 70 to 80% of all church plants fail in the first five years, according to the stats and same with businesses, right? Like it's no guarantee that it's going to be better. And then you have nobody left to blame because you're your own boss. Isn't that the truth? <laughs> so man, yeah. here, whatever you want to say. Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting because Josiah, I think you guys are talking about it and it's like, if you lose your passion as a side hustle, you don't want to make it your full-time thing. Right. Because I I look at it as the moment an opportunity to do whatever, to start a church, to start an organization, to start a business, to do a side hustle. The moment that opportunity becomes an obligation, that's when that passion maybe no longer. That's when you realize or recognize maybe I'm not cut out to do that. I mean, I remember being 18 years old, everyone's like, what are you going to be when you grow up? And I was like, what are you going to go to school for? It's like, you're 18. I don't know what I'm going to have for supper, let alone what am I going to do for the rest of my life? And I would never think that I was going to be here doing what we're doing now. And I remember I was like, I want to be a personal trainer trainer, and I want to be on the field with all the football players and do all this stuff. Well, I did a job shadow. And by the time I was done after that football game, I was like, I hated that. I don't ever want to be an athletic trainer. Like I want to be a personal trainer in the gym with the athletes. So they don't have the injuries on the field, you know? So even just knowing like you can be in the realm of whatever it is medical, but to narrow that focus or the communication world to narrow that focus, podcasting, whatever. And to know that when that passion comes alive, let's dump some gasoline on that. And if that fire goes out, well, we're in trouble. So we know that you're also very passionate about writing. You've hit on it a couple of times, but Josiah, I know that you um, are thrilled about this new oh project gosh. that he yeah. has released, which is a book. Yeah. I mean, Carrie, your book is touching a lot of leaders. It came at a really strategic time mm-hmm. as far as young leaders listening, wanting to live their life for what matters most and really be, as mm-hmm. you say, at your best. That's our prayer and hope with this podcast that every listener would mm-hmm. learn about themselves, how to thrive and not just survive. But you speak from personal experience, as you already have too on this episode, about the self-discovery process. But how can we figure out how to work at our best? Hmm. 
So one of the challenges is most people are not at their best. And when I first started developing this material, I remember the first talk I gave on it maybe six years ago was in Atlanta, Georgia. It was a packed out room. There were over a thousand leaders in the room. And I jokingly said, hey, I've been working on these ideas. If you're under 40, this will not apply. I'm going to talk about burnout. I'm going to talk about a sustainable pace. Um, Take some notes. 15 years down the road, if you find yourself burned out at 40, open up the notebook and there'll be some helpful advice there. And then I gave my talk. And what blew me away is after I was finished the the talk, there was a line of 20-somethings waiting to talk to me going, "Uh, I'm burned out too. I'm exhausted too. And having learned from that and, and just worked with leaders over the last five years in this area, I think most people today are overwhelmed, overcommitted, and overworked. And they're just like, there's no escape. And you know, back to what we talked about before, we think, oh, a career change will make that better. Well, sometimes, but often not. Like, you, it might be worse, you don't know. Like maybe the corporate culture where you're going is worse than the one that you're leaving or the culture you will create for yourself is more overwhelming. Like, you know, what's the joke about entrepreneurs? It's like, I'll work, I've, uh, we're trading working 40 hours for someone else to work 80 hours for ourselves for less money. That's the <laughs> truth of a lot of entrepreneurial right. journeys. And, you know, people are overwhelmed, they're overworked, they're overcommitted. And I found myself there as a leader who was turning 40. And I had a period of burnout and I tried to figure out, okay, on the other side of burnout, how do I not get burned out again? And then how do I get to a place where I can live at a sustainable pace and actually lead better? What surprised me, what I was not expecting, I was trying to survive, was when I got the formula right, and it took me about five years to get it right, um, my productivity 10x'd, if not more. And I was able to do so much more than I could when when I wasn't thriving. So when you're overwhelmed, overcommitted, overworked, the three things you're mismanaging are your time, energy, and priorities. And by mismanaging, what I mean is those are the three assets every leader gets every day. Right. And we don't think about how we spend them. Like, how are you spending your time? Well, I have a meeting at one. I have a meeting at three. And then this evening, we got something with the kids or whatever. So that's how we think about time. But that's not very strategic, how we spend it. Normally, the way we spend our calendar is, hey, what are you doing Friday afternoon at two o'clock? You look at your calendar. There's nothing there. And you're like, nothing. And you're like, good. Okay, I'll do this. Then your energy, a lot of people don't think about their energy other than that they're tired all the time. And then priorities, we allow other people to hijack our priorities on a regular basis. So at your best, what I urge people to do. And this is, this is what I discovered, took me years to figure it out, but this is what I discovered and how I've lived now for over a decade. And it's produced great results is uh, some ideas on um, time management, but energy management has been huge. So I'll walk you through the thumbnail. Um, Every leader gets 24 hours in a day, but not all hours feel equal or produce equally. So how about the two of you? Did I, did I hear you say you have kids? You have kids or no kids? Two daughters. We have a 19 month old and then a three oh, wow. month old. Yep. Oh, three month. Did you say three month? Three month. 16 months. Okay. Two during so, COVID. <laughs> holy cow. Okay. So you're, you're in the thick of it. Yes. And, and you're also doing a weekly podcast, which is incredible. All right. So you're, you're great. This is going to be fun. I'll do a little free consulting. Yep. For that. 
Praise God. Yes, we got our pen and paper right here. We already took Okay. Oh, All right. Our ears uh, are yours. <laughs> it's free. It may not be worth anything. So that's why it's free. Um, <laughs> but what would you, in your 24 hours in a day, do you, are you naturally like morning people, night owls? When, when would you say you feel your best, your energy is at its peak during the course of the day? And there might be two different answers for two different people. For me personally, I'm a morning person. So from like 6am till noon one by two to four, I hit a wall and I'm like, I'm checked out. So I'm like, let's get up, let's get at it. I got this, this, this. So I'm very, very much a morning person to feel the most productive, alert, awake, clear-minded. And Josiah, I think is maybe the opposite. (laughs) (laughs) So you're a night owl, Josiah? I'm a night owl. I worked a night shift all through high school and college. I (laughs) love to read and write. um, And I find just this unbelievable creative energy at like, nine, 10, 11 o'clock, maybe even midnight, like some of the best ideas I've ever had. Some of the way I would maybe say even the times I've spent with God that were really quality treasured times. That's like Mm -hmm. sacred time to me. Oh, this is, this is a great study. So Mike, are you in bed by that time? Like nine o'clock? You're like, I want to be in bed. Put it into perspective. When we first got married, I go, do not, do not have a deep, meaningful conversation or bring something up that needs attention in our relationship or around the house past 10 PM. So I'm like, don't talk to me anything about that. Anything like that after 10. So he took that literally. So after 10 PM, if I was still up, he wouldn't talk to me like the first year of marriage. And I'm like, what's your deal? I'm like, why don't you talk to me? He's like, you said, do not talk to me past 10 PM. I go, no, no, no. You can talk to me. Just don't bring up something that. Right. Don't like, Hey, should we spend some money on, (laughs) do we need a new dishwasher? (laughs) That's not a 11 PM discussion. So having kids like eight o'clock, I'm like nine o'clock. I'm like, I'm ready for bed. 10 o'clock. I'm out. So I'm the, okay. I'm the early year to bed, early riser. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you a semi-obvious question, but uh, I sympathize because I have the same bio clock that you do morning person. Nothing good happens after 10 PM, 9 PM. <laughs> why, why would you not want to have a conversation about pick a, pick an issue, uh, whether to buy a new dishwasher after nine o'clock, 10 o'clock at night? What, what, why are you not in a good frame of mind? I feel like my emotional state decreases and my ability to communicate with love decreases and the ability to <laughs> offer grace may not be the best when I'm tired, exhausted. I feel like I've expended all my energy in the house with children, with work, with a spouse and managing all that and trying to you know, navigate everyday living. So after that, I don't want to ever say or do or have buyer's remorse or verbal remorse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you're basically not a Christian after about nine 30. Is that, is happy. that it, Micah? I wash yeah. my face and my teeth are brushed. I'm out. <laughs> I'm out. Yep. No, that's tremendous self-awareness and really, really good. And you know what? It means you're human, which is incredible. I'm human as well. And in my thirties, because I'm driven entrepreneurial, former lawyer, like I lived as though I had no limits and any time was go time. And it, it wore me out and got me burned out. And coming back from it, I kind of realized, okay, and this is the science, the brain science now supports this. Wow. Uh, most of us have three to five peak hours in the day. And interesting is you're narrating this, you picked opposite ends of the, the day, <laughs> which is fine. Like you're making your marriage work. Like that's awesome. But like you would be six till noon and then Josiah, you're like nine till midnight eight till midnight, something like that. And so it's three to five hours. You see that, that window 
where you're really at your best. And you both said the same thing. That's when the ideas flow. That's when you're creative. That's when you're in a good mood. That's when you're happy. Josiah, that might be the best time for you to decide whether to buy a dishwasher is <laughs> at 11 o'clock at night because you got seven so tabs open and so you're comparison true. shopping. You know, and you're like, honey, I've done the budget. I figured it out. But you have to have that conversation with her in the morning or the next day. So that you're just proving the point that all of us, well, a lot of people don't think about it. The people we've, we've read, I think about 20,000 people have made their way through the book so far, which is awesome. But what we're hearing every day is it's so obvious once you see it, yep. mm-hmm. but I've never thought about it. And so I feel like all I'm doing is bringing some issues to the surface that you might've, you know, the light bulb might've gone on when you're 35 or 40 and you're like, oh yeah, that's the way we operate. But you already intuitively know this. So the key to being at your best is to find your your most productive hours, your three to five. Uh, So I divide the day into green, yellow, and red zone. You're at your best zone is your green zone. So for you, Josiah, that's at night. Micah, for you, it's in the morning, Mm -hmm. you know, and you might finesse that a little bit more. It might be like, well, seven to 11, or it could be six till, till 12, which is fine. But then there's also two hours in the day. And I would say even in the working day where I call them the red zone, you're exhausted, you're dragging. So Micah, for you, it's after nine at night, I'm with you, but mm-hmm. what would it be? Two to four? Two to four during the day. Putting, two to four during the day. Two to four during I the day. I'm like, I need a cup of coffee or a nap. <laughs> and and Carrie, and, I- no, that's exactly it. What about you, Josiah? I feel that at like the start of the, the day, like it's, it's a little bit. You're a slow <laughs> ramp up, right? Like 7am, 8am. By like 11 noon, watch out. Like I'm, I'm ready to go. So he's coming. I'm getting off the morning high. Right. He's just getting ramped up. And by that time he wants to chat and I'm like, dude, time out. Go for your, you guys should do a marriage podcast. This is really a fascinating case study. Opposites do attract, right? So basically if you're in a a 9am meeting, Josiah, you're like, Oh, I need some caffeine. If you're in a three o'clock meeting, Micah, you're like, Oh, I hope I don't fall asleep on the table. Right. Like you're basically there. So my green zone is seven to 11 in the morning, roughly. And my red zone is four to six. So once I hit 4 p.m., I can make it through the afternoon a little bit. I'll have a little power nap at lunch or something like that. But then four o'clock runs around. I'm running on three brain cells. I'm tired. I'm not a good person anymore. And I need to either exercise, have a nap or get caffeinated. And then I'm, I'm like my, my wife, Tony, she, I'm only in my fifties, but she says, it's like, I'm married a 95 year old man. You just want to go to bed at nine o'clock. I'm like, yes, I do. Cause the morning is so powerful, but I love it. And what happened is, okay. So that's your energy zones. And then the key is to sync up what you're best at when you're at your best. So um, we now know when you're at your best, but the question is, what are you best at? And for those of us who work in, in like more knowledge work or white collar jobs, I mean, if you're working at a Starbucks, you're slinging macchiatos all day long. You don't have a lot of choice in that. Yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but for those of us who are like in ministry or running our own not-for-profit or for me who runs a communication company or even in law, frankly, you have a lot of control over your time in law. 
you, you really do because court is one thing, but you can determine when you want to meet your clients, when you're doing your case prep, when you're doing your briefings, all of that stuff, you can determine that yourself. So for those of you who have some agency, figure out what, what will actually most move the needle. So for 20 years, when I was a pastor, 25, because I stayed on as teaching pastor for a few years, I knew that the most important thing I could do was produce a quality message and great series weekend after weekend after weekend. And I also knew that I had to keep the team aligned. I had to keep the culture healthy. And if I did a few of those things and we had money in the bank, then we were going to be fine. And when I took my eye off of those things, the church would always suffer. In law, it was actually prepping for court. It was making sure you knew your case cold. You knew what the opponent was going to say. You knew what the judge needed. You knew the case law. So that meant hours of prep for even 15 minutes in court. Like I had to, I had to know what you were going to say, what the judge needs, what I'm going to say. And it's amazing how many lawyers would show up my one year in law and they would be like, your honor, uh, we're here today to represent, uh, I'm here on behalf of my client, Mr. Hang on a second. Carrie <clears throat> uh, Nywoff. It's Newhoff. All right. Nywoff, Mr. Nywoff uh, is, was uh, before the court and it doesn't know anything. Oh, no. And I'm like 25 and I get up and I'm like, your honor, I'm here on behalf of my client, Carrie Newhoff. Uh, what we're seeking today, your honor, and my opponent is going to say this, but I know what you need. And the case law favors my client's position. So we're seeking a ruling in that favor. Just being somewhat prepared and articulate. I won almost every case that year. I lost two, which I'm still bummed about. But anyway, you know, that that's being prepared. Well, I would do that the day before, or, you know, first thing in the morning before going to court. But if you're living in that whirlwind of, oh, I got five phone calls, I missed five phone calls, I got to call this guy, and I got to do this, and I got to do that. And you, you walk into court unprepared, you walk into Sunday unprepared, you know, it's a mess. So what did I need to do when I was a lawyer is I need to prepare for court. And now I've got to prepare for Sunday. So I'm prepared for Sunday, but you know how a typical workday, and this is where it all comes together. So thanks for listening this long, but in a typical workday, what happens? Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to pick on you, Micah, because we're alike. Let's say, do you ever teach on the weekend? Is that part of your responsibility? Yes. We've taught on the weekend, whether it's um, a retreat or women's thing. Yeah. Right. Yes. (laughs) All right. So ideally your time to write would be in the morning. Mm-hmm. And I used to be the king of breakfast meetings because that's when business people wanted to meet from the church. So I, it's my best hours of the day, but I'd say, okay, I'd meet some guy for breakfast. We meet at the restaurant. You know how it goes. 7 a.m. We meet at the restaurant. It was supposed to be an hour. It lasts an hour and a half, two hours. You're like, okay, now it's already 830. And then you're like, I better get some coffee for the office. So you go to a drive through you get into the office at nine. And then you walk into the office. What happens? Everyone's like, hey, Carrie. Hey, Michael, what's going on? It's like, hey, you talk, chit chat for half an hour. Then you sit down at your desk and you're like, oh, I got seven text messages. And then you open your inbox. You have 25 unread emails. So next thing you know, it's 11. You're like, well, I'm kind of hungry for lunch. I think I'll go for an early lunch. You get back at 1230. You get pulled into a meeting. Then you're tired. You go back. You have 17 other emails you have to work through. And then it's four o'clock and you go home. And how much of your talk is written? Micah, answer to the question is zero. So what do you do? Anxious. I don't feel like I've been productive. I wish that the people would have brought their questions to my one and a half hour meeting that I was supposed to mentor them. Uh Uh-huh. Overwhelmed. (laughs) And so then you come home now these days with your laptop. 
right. And you open up your laptop after the kids go to bed and you're like, I'm going to work on my talk because I didn't get it done today. <laughs> and your brain isn't working because it's not your, your best hours and you're grumpy and your marriage is paying a price. And then you get up and you have a breakfast meeting tomorrow or you get distracted and you're in the same position 24 hours later. And I live that way leading up to burnout. So the hack I made, the change I made was I know when I'm at my best and I know what's most important, what, what you know I need to do. So I just canceled breakfast meetings, protected that time like crazy. And I'm like, in the morning, I will write sermons. And I started to write weeks in advance. I started to get series done a month in advance. My creative team was help, was thankful. There were much better messages. And then, you know this too, when you get your sermon written, let's say you get it done by 11 o'clock or noon. The rest of the day, it doesn't matter what happens. You can go to a meeting, you can get pulled into this because your biggest thing is yep. finished. So that's the idea behind at your best is do what you're best at when you're at your best. And they got a whole section in the book because that's a really beautiful theory. Anybody can go and try it tomorrow. But what happens is life comes at you mm -hmm. and everybody tries to hijack your priorities and you get a million inbound. So there's a lot of practical strategies on how to deal with that too and protect the time. That's so good. We're so excited about this content, Carrie, and for the listener to pick up a couple of copies and maybe they go together through their, you know, through the book with their spouse, with their team, with maybe some of their staff or volunteers. Uh, I just think that we highly recommend it and excited mm -hmm. to hear, you know, some of the, the feedback of maybe, maybe people found it helpful and be sure to let us know and, and thank Carrie in the process. That's so good. Well, I think Carrie, like even just talking to you, Josiah and I had this conversation navigating the waters of having the second baby and just realizing like, where do we feel like we're falling behind? And he wakes mm -hmm. up some days and he's like, I had this realization. When I wake up, I feel like I've already fallen behind. And if we can <laughs> learn how to prioritize our time and find out when we are our best and when we can get the most work done yep. in that, you know, 40 plus hour work week and not feel like we're just spinning our wheels constantly or chasing the wind or our tail, I think that just brings an ease to our soul instead of feeling so cluttered and bogged down by others hijacking our day or our willingness to hand over over our calendars to people that maybe we shouldn't or we didn't process that or we're not self-aware enough i think um one thing josiah and i love is we love uh we love to learn so we're lifelong learners we love to read just absorb as much as we can we don't want to lose our childlike spirit in that process of learning but i would also say that one thing that i've learned throughout the last couple of years is I'm not the best at anything. Like there's always somebody who knows mm. something more in a room, whether they know how to manage time or they can write or preach or teach or whatever that is. And I always ask this question, what should I be asking that I'm not asking? And so Carrie, I want to ask you, what do you think that our listeners need to hear or what do we need to hear? Selfishly, I should say that, but um, what should leaders be asking that they're not asking, whether that's about themselves, ministry, marketplace, whatever that is. And what advice do you have to speak into that question? I would ask the question, how do I develop my gift? So what you'll discover as you get older, and again, this is a young leaders podcast, but when I was in my 20s, I thought I was good at everything. And then it became abundantly clear that that's not true. I thought I was good at graphics. I'm not. I have an eye for graphics, but I can't really create them. And you get like creative people who are just so amazing at that stuff. And I always, being in radio, like 
a long time ago, I always loved production, but I don't do the production for my podcast. Mm -hmm. It would be a fun hobby, but like I hire a producer. And what I realized is at the end of the day, I'm a communicator. If you look at radio law, um, my favorite part of the preaching job was preaching. You know, now I run a communications company. I'm a podcaster. I'm a writer. It's all communication. And so you probably have a lane. And then the question to ask yourself is, how do I develop that gift? See, it said something really interesting, Micah. You said, you know, I'm not the best at anything. Actually, that's true. I'm not the best communicator in the world, but I'm a good communicator mm -hmm. and I become a better communicator. Right. And the way you become a better communicator is that you use your green zone, not just to use your gift, but to develop it. So let's say you have three or four hours set aside and you got a weekend message that you're working on. Yeah, work on your message for two, two and a half hours, but then take some time to watch a TED talk about how the best communicators communicate or read a book on preaching or read a book on theology. And what'll happen is small deposits over time, the same way it does with money, will add up. And you might say, well, I watched a TED talk today and you know, I read a couple chapters out of a Keller book, great. But you do that year after year, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, you become a world-class expert on something and you're sharpening the saw, as Stephen Covey said. Then you're becoming really, really good. So I'm not just in my green zone working on my next talk. I'm studying communication. I'm trying to learn from people. You go through not just two drafts, but eight drafts of your book, like at your best. I thought it'd be super easy to write because I've been speaking on this subject for years. It was actually really difficult to write well on it. And I went through eight drafts of that book, but now I'm like, okay, it, it's really paying off in a big way. It would have been way easier just to say, well, I got three drafts done. It's good enough. And it would have been good enough. But now eight drafts into it with many, many editors and many eyes on it. It's the best I feel that we can make it. So, uh, you know, using your gift without developing it is cheating your gift. And a lot of leaders cheat their gift because the reality is if you're a good communicator, if you blow your time management week after week, Thursday night at four o'clock, you can sit down or afternoon at four o'clock and wing a talk. You can just write it in an hour and it'll be okay, but it'll never be your best. Mm -hmm. And so what you want to do is leverage that green zone to develop your gift, not just use it. I love it. I love it. And Carrie, one of our deep burdens and passions is the faith in the next generation, specifically young adults, mm -hmm. like people 18 to 30. We had talked on the front of the podcast about how many in all generations are churches declining with attendance or faith involvement, community involvement. But specifically, I'd love to ask you, why do you believe discipleship efforts like next generation ministry, young adult ministry, campus ministry, why are these efforts so important? Well, I, I really think we see the statistics heading in the other direction. So many people are walking away. So many people are deconstructing their faith. And I think the moment we're in right now, as we're, you know, moving to probably the apex of, of web two, where, you know, web three is sort of de developing on the side as, as we look mm -hmm. at the future and try to figure out what that is, but we've never had more access to information. We can see all the flaws it's easy to be cynical. It's easy to be disillusioned. And yet it's into an imperfect world that Christ calls us. And so I think discipling young adults, discipling young people in the next generation is going to be really important because the conclusion otherwise 
is, well, the church is corrupt. The church is out of touch. The church doesn't understand anything. And of course, you know, there's a certain point. I know there are pockets that are corrupt. The whole church is not corrupt. <laughs> there's a lot of good in church. Uh, but yeah, you're, you're going to see stuff that really disillusions you. What you will find a decade later is, and that's a problem with existentialism and deconstructionism, is you see through everything and there is nothing left. And then you'll realize, and there's nothing left of my life. And everything else is just as bad. I went down this rabbit hole and I found nothing good. And then you're like, now I'm in despair. Now I'm depressed. And so actually, why not avoid that journey and continue to look at things critically, uh, but have a critical mind, not a critical spirit. And then really look at the good that you can find in the gospel, in Christ, and start reconstructing your life now, rather than waiting for that moment a decade down the road. That's so good. And we know that the faith of the next generation is obviously important. And you kind of already touched on that, that discipleship is important and leaning into that. But what insight are you personally discovering about the faith of the next generation? Are you seeing anything throughout your studies or throughout just like your ministry and just life experience that you've had? When it's there, it's deep. And I love that. I think it's also very threatening to Gen X and boomers because uh, there was a cultural moment where Christianity was advantageous and that, that is no longer so. And so I think when you see the radical commitment of the younger generation, it can be threatening to older generations. Wow. That's sure. an interesting insight. Whoa. No kidding. We have so many things to dissect and I go. I can't wait to go back and listen to this, Carrie. And we just want to honor your time. Five minutes left. And we come to the segment where it's kind of like the young leaders segment where it's five final thoughts, five minutes. I don't know if you're a baseball fan or not, but kind of a home run derby or if you like. Oh yeah. Okay, cool. Cool. Yeah. So- yeah. Five questions, five minutes to kick us off. If you could describe yourself in three words, what would they be? Oh, I did write this out. Yeah, we were talking before the show. I'm like, I did this. What would it be? I hope it would be loyal, uh, honest, and helpful. Great. Great answers. All right. Question number two. For the leader just starting out, how do you start strong and finish well? Any insight? Work, work twice as hard on your character as you do on your competency. The, your competency will get you in the room, but your character will keep you in the room. And this generation has bodies everywhere from people who had tremendous gifts. Hmm. And what happened was their platforms outgrew their character. Yep. So you have to do the hard work and that's counseling, personal devotions, all of that of making sure that your character grows faster than your platform. I love it because we want to be in this for the long haul. That's why we ask you that question. And I think that we can all take that one to heart. Man. You got a lot of life left after the fall, man. Like, you know, and I, I say that in my fifties, like there's hopefully three decades left and I don't want to screw this up. That's right. Either. Yeah. Uh, you've already done this by the way, but this is question three of five. If you could ask Mike and I one question, it can be anything. What would it be? I'm starting to sweat. This keeps what is smart. your what is your plan to keep your heart engaged long term? Mm-hmm. Age and cynicism are frequent companions. How are you going to keep your heart alive and thriving long term? And there's no easy answer. Wow. Yeah, there's you, no answer. You stumped us. I, I my thoughts right right off the tip of my tongue are 
I guess I always pray this prayer is that God, you'd help me develop a, a thick skin and a soft and tender spirit. Like I've, I've always been a little bit more sensitive, um, in touch with my feelings since I was a kid and things like encouragement can really boost me, but maybe one cutting comment could just, just about take me out at times. And so I've prayed that like, God, give me thick skin, but a soft heart. And, um, and then practically, I think, I think just a lifetime commitment of, mm-hmm. of devotion that like, you know, delighting in Jesus, that's, mm-hmm. that's some of the things that come to mind for me. Yeah. I think for me, what instantly comes from, it might change over time, but I think one prayer that I've had is to always have a childlike spirit and to always pray for joy, even in the midst of trial. Like there has to be something good that's going to come out of this. You know, when you're under um, pressure or you feel just all these stupid things happening or bizarre things happening in our life, we're just like, you know what? God's really going to do something awesome. Maybe not always through this, but on the other side of this trial or the other side of this you know what? He's really just going to bless our faithfulness. So that's one of my things just to pray Mm. a childlike spirit and joy. In addition to, I love adventure. So I'm always praying like, Lord, how do I not live for only the adventure, but how do I allow you to take me on that wild adventure, a lifetime of wild adventures that are near and dear to his heart, as well as, you know, inviting my family now in on that. So I've always prayed that Lord, I'm here for a wild adventure which is, could be a dangerous prayer. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. (laughs) All right. Great question. No kidding. Question number four, would you be willing to tell us, we like this question only because we have so many young people tuning in that you can save us some heartbreak or some mistakes, but would you be willing to tell us an embarrassing moment or maybe an epic failure when it's, when it's come to your life or in leadership that we can, yeah, you know, I had one years ago, I was getting to know Andy Stanley and I wanted to become a better communicator. And I had asked Andy if he would mentor me in that. So he said, yeah, send me a manuscript of your sermon. And I got so paralyzed with insecurity of, oh, this one isn't good enough. This one isn't good enough. I kind of let it go for six months and I never took him up on his offer because I was too scared. And then I finally went back and said, okay, I think I found the message because I wanted it to be perfect. So he couldn't really critique it, which is Uh stupid. And I went back to him and said, okay, I think I'm ready. And he goes, oh, too late. The offer expired. And he was fair. He was fair. He asked me to do it. It was a season in his life where he could have done it. And so don't let your insecurity get in the way. That's a great insight. Wow. Carrie, thank you so much for going there Mm -hmm. and sharing transparently on that. Our final question today is if you could, if, if the room was filled with college pastors, young adult ministry leaders, kind of like the start of the race of a marathon, and, and we hand you the mic with maybe one piece of insight or encouragement for young leaders, what would you say to them? Only humility can get you out of what pride got you into. Stay humble. That is great. That is a great challenging note to leave us on and the listener as well. Carrie, we are so thrilled. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for being vulnerable as well as sharing your book with us and just learning how to navigate life. You're learning us how you're teaching us how to do that. So hopefully Mm -hmm. we can learn something from you as we continue the journey in and out of ministry, but we're just so grateful that you could join us today. It's been great to be with you. Thank you so much, Josiah. Thank you, Micah. It's been great getting to know you a little bit. And thanks for having me on the show and for all you do to help leaders.
Absolutely. Well, we are thrilled. If you are tuning in and you do not know Carrie Newhoff, but you want to know and learn more about him, you can find out more about him when you connect with us on our website at youngadults.today, as well across our social media platforms at Young Adults Today. Until this time, next time, this time, that time too, right? Till next time, this is Micah and Josiah signing off. Thanks so much. Hey guys, it's Josiah, and before we dive into today's episode, I want to share an exciting update with our Young Adults Today fam. Here's the thing, everything we do with Young Adults Today, whether it's a podcast, books, resources, conference, content, is centered around the heart of Christ and really three things. The first is building relationships that can last a lifetime. The second is creating resources that are useful, and the third is to create rallying points that are catalytic for leaders and ministries to reach the next generation as we make disciples. So we have a prayer and a goal to take everything we're doing to the next level, and that is an invitation to you to join our Patreon. Patreon allows you and us to partner together for the kingdom of God and the heart of Christ to grow young adults today. You can find out more and jump on board by visiting patreon.com slash youngadultstoday. Thanks so much, and here's for today's episode. Thanks for listening to today's conversation on the Young Adults Today podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. I'm getting charged up right now, yeah.